Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Plastic Surgeons and a Microphone. I am here joined, as always, by my esteemed <laughs> colleagues, Dr. Salvatore Pacella from La Jolla, California, and also Dr. Sam Tajurikar from Dallas, Texas. And I am Dr. Sam Ree from Paramus, New Jersey. And we are going to go through the latest statistics from aesthetic, the, uh, the Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. They compiled- uh, what, What's that? <laughs> you mean the Aesthetic Society? The Aesthetic Society, I'm sorry. The Aesthetic Society for 50 over 50 years have gone beyond just being board certified with over 3,000 members spanning the goal, the globe. The Aesthetic Society is at the frontier of innovation in aesthetic plastic surgery, or so they say. And uh, they basically compiled uh, using the ANN, ANN, Aesthetic Neural Network data, they partnered with uh, Ronin Solutions to come up with- All right, all right, all right. You're losing us in the weeds here. Okay, so basically there are a bunch <laughs> right. of statistics from last year, uh, <laughs> of the past year compiled, looking at aesthetic plastic surgery. And they have come up with a number of key findings, which we'll go through, which I think are very interesting. Um, and uh, we can discuss that. So Sal, Sal, if you wanna go through the disclaimer and we can uh, get going. All right. This show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other health qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding medical care. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something in the show. Yes. So, okay. So, the Aesthetic Society for our listeners is a series of board certified plastic surgeons who specialize in aesthetic surgery. So it's beyond just being a board-certified plastic surgeon. It's demonstrating um, a certain number of cases and then actually getting um, letters of recommendation to become a member. And I think we're all members, right? We're, all of us are members yes. of the Aesthetic Society. And, um, and it's a really useful society to us. I think, at least for me, and I think you guys would probably agree, within plastic surgery, it is the society that I tend to find the most interesting stuff related to my practice. And so um, what they do, like Sam was saying, is they basically pull them up, they pull a certain number of the practices and they find out what are the most common procedures that were done. And they come up with these statistics every year. And it's interesting to look at these statistics on a year to year basis to get an idea of what's happening in the US just with, with trends. And so in 2022, the data just came out in the last couple of weeks, they showed that the total number of aesthetic procedures had increased about 14% from the year before. But interestingly, that rise was predominantly in non-surgical treatments, which had gone up about 23%, and then surgical treatments had actually gone down 12%. Um, so I'm curious, they explain why that happens, but before you guys actually read the details, I can see Dr. Pichel is studying it and reading it right now. Um, why do you think it went down? Um, just out of curiosity. So what what was it like? Have you noticed in your practice that last year, 2022, was a slow surgical year? I bet you're going to say that the answer is probably no. You didn't notice that was the case. So what, what do you guys think? Why do you think surgical procedures would have gone down from the year before? Well, I think a couple of reasons, Sam. I think... Um number one, we're, we're not really in the best economy right now. Um, and that's particularly evident with interest rates, right? So um, as you may know, the, the feds are continuing to raise interest rates with the intention of stopping inflation or, or curbing inflation. That's and predominantly so, a 2023 phenomena, right? So, but this is actually, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. 22. Yeah, so, 
Yeah. So for 2022, they basically said that in 2021, because of the pandemic and the tail end of the pandemic, everyone was just sitting around getting plastic surgery and the numbers were so high in 20, you know, particularly in the, the beginning of 2021 that there was an invari- invariable drop back down to sort of pre-pandemic levels. It's still above what it was before the pandemic. So that, that that's why I think 2023, though, in terms of what you're saying, will definitely show an even bigger drop. Um, right. Now that that uh, that was another point I was going to make as far as disposable income. You know, people, uh, I think, were sort of not going on vacation, not going out to eat at the tail end of the pl- pandemic. They had perhaps uh, more resources and used that for plastic surgery. You know, now um, hopefully you guys haven't studied the list too much, but um, they list what the top five procedures, surgical procedures, were. What would you? Guys, think that they were, and, and does it match what you see in your own practice? Or are you guys staring at the list right now? I already peeked at it, so I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the list, uh, and I mean, it, it, does this surprise you? The number one operation is liposuction. Number two is breast dog. Number three is tummy tuck. And then uh, the, the fourth and fifth ones for breast lifts and breast implants removal and replacement. None of them are facial procedures, which I know um, doesn't really match Pachella's. Um, you know, uh, procedure logs so much. Cause I know you do a lot of noses and faces and, and all that, but is this, are these some of the most common procedures you guys are seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when you look at liposuction, you know, liposuction is, um, a procedure that's not usually a standalone procedure. You're doing something at the same time, either tummy tuck, BBL, breast lift, etc. So it, it's not surprising that the, um, you know, this would be counted probably as a multiple add-on procedure. So that that kind of explains that for me, I think. I mean, these are my top five procedures personally. I I mean, I do more liposuction and tummy tuck work uh, than anything else in my practice. Same with breast augmentation and breast lift. And I will be surprised. And surprisingly, I am a little surprised that breast implant removal or replacement uh, made the top five, but it, that is also one of the big things for some reason that I do as well. So I I am surprised and not surprised. I'm surprised that my practice mix mirrors what they have uh, shown as their top five. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are all basically components of what we call mommy makeovers, right? I mean, to some various right. degree, they basically just deconstructed a mommy makeover. And, um, and these are the, um, you know, kind of the top five procedures. You know, I, I will say I do a lot of standalone liposuction as well, but I also do it in combination with other procedures. So I would I would agree that when I'm doing a tummy tuck, there's always liposuction. Many times I'm doing a tummy tuck, there's a breast lift or a breast dog or removal and replacement. So yeah, these all these are all very much interlinked. The other thing that was interesting was the the demographic breakdown in terms of men and women. Um have you guys seen this statistic? Do you, yeah. What? Okay. So it's ninety-five percent of plastic surgery. Uh, plastic surgery is done on women, um, compared to only five percent for men. Is that kind of what you guys see in your own practice? I would say so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I see about ninety-five-five. Uh, you know, I think for the non-surgical treatments, I would say the demo is skewing with more. Like I'm seeing more males probably over the past five or six years than I had before. I think Botox and, and fillers are starting to become more popular with men. But, you know, if you look at the top men procedures that they listed, like gynecomastia, liposuction, bleph, rhinoplasty, like 
yeah, there's still a fraction of what the the women in terms of my patient demographics are for sure. What was interesting was that the fifth most common procedure for men, seeing how we're talking about the procedures, is actually tummy tucks. Um, yes. And then when I think back and reflect on the number of male tummy tucks that I have done over the last two or three years, it's a surprisingly so, high number. Uh, wow. Um, how, how, you know, and I, I think, again, it just reflects that in our population as people are losing more and more weight, the men are, are obviously not having children, but whether it's bariatric surgery, whether it's diet and exercise, whether it's some of the new GLP-1 agonist medications like semaglutide and terzepatide and all that stuff, um, we're seeing more and more men with, with lax skin who are getting tummy tucks. Um, and so, you know, I can't say I do a male tummy tuck every week, but I probably do one every month. So, well, you know, it's a, you can go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they have a specific, under GU surgery, they have a s- specific um, category for transgender surgery. And I, I don't remember this being a category in the 2020 to 2019 area. Um, and, you know, it's surprising that that went down, actually. I think that's only on the up and up. And and then I'm curious as to, do they indicate as to if a patient had a transgender surgery, do they count that as a male or female surgery? You know, and that, it's not a small number of patients. It's, you know, 19, 1900, I think it listed in the, uh, in the cat. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure, but I mean, they listed under genitourinary surgery. So I assume these are all bottom surgeries. And I would say that it's really a specialty that not is practiced widely amongst all surgeons. Like, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done genitourinary transgender surgery since residency, I think. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't so think. So, did, did you read? Did you read that as the as yeah. only transgender GU surgery, or I? Because I, I I read that as maybe I mistakenly read that as all transgender surgery, and then they just put it in that category. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done uh, tops. I do a fair amount of top surgery, so I don't know. Like, I would think it would be much higher than what they listed. It was only like. 1600 or so procedures listed so i don't know yeah i mean i, I do some as well but um yeah i don't think i think they would i guess my guess is they would probably list it as the gender that the patient identifies with as opposed to you know, the gender that they may have been biologically born with you know what blows me away is the face if you look under face neck brow procedures the biggest increase is in thread lift 72 percent increase which is ridiculous. I mean, what do you guys make of that from 8,000? So I don't think it's ridiculous at all. I think, I think it shows the trend in, in society because, you know, we, we recently did a podcast on faceless for instance, right? And one of the things that we talk about during our podcast and faceless (laughs) is the recovery time that is associated with it and how people are going to look bruised, battered and swollen and socially unacceptable for a long period of time. And I think one of the biggest take home messages of this list, which I've you know, we haven't gotten to yet, but now's a great time to transition to is how much more prevalent non-surgical treatments are than surgical treatments. I mean, you look at 40% of all non-surgical treatments done are some sort of toxin, like whether it's Botox or a competitor, um, skin treatments, you know, peels, hydrofacials were next fillers were next. I mean, the demand for these procedures 
I mean, plastic surgeons makeup just a very small component of the people doing it, whether it is other doctors, you know, whether it's the core specialties like dermatology or oculoplastics, yeah. you know, you, you know, um, facial plastics, whether it's nurse injectors, whether it's um, non core specialty injectors, this stuff is being done all over the place because people are trying to find a way to, to particularly rejuvenate themselves from the neck on up with minimal downtime. I think thread lifts are very temporary in terms of the results, but I think they achieve in a short-term goal what people want. So you, if people are okay with a result that's going to last them months, and I do Botox, it'll last them three months, you know, why not go to someone that's going to do a thread lift and just know that they're going to have to do it repeatedly? Sam doesn't like that. I mean, I, I just feel like a lot of these non-surgical procedures are a lot of flash and not that much substance. Like, I mean, some of them are okay. Like, if you look at body contouring, I understand why something like Cool Sculpt or some of these other uh, non-invasive fat um, removal type of procedures are popular. But we've all seen what kind of results, even the best looking results that people will publish are. We also have talked some about some of the potential complications for these things. And, you know... Botox and Juvederm will only get you so far in terms of your quest for rejuvenation or aesthetic improvement. So I think, you know, as surgeons, I look at that and I say, listen, these are all sort of entry level types of procedures that people are starting to try to do. But at some point, if you really want to make a substantial change in terms of your appearance or rejuvenative sort of uh, quest, you know, these are not, you know, these are not going to hold a lot of people for a long period of time. And I don't have a problem with them. I do them all the time. It's just, um, I, I feel like people will eventually seek greater enhancement at some point. What do you think, Sal? I think, um, you know, a lot of this is obviously related to cost. Right. Um, you know, cost and recovery. So I think those are the two biggest uh, disadvantages for patients who undergo plastic surgery. And the, the cost, I think, is primarily. I mean, like you think about the cost of a thread lift being done by uh, an RN injector in the office. That's going to be a fraction of the cost of me doing a brow lift. Right. And so that 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 hones into a lot of people. I, I think um I think certainly cost is part of it, but I also think recovery is part of it as well. And this notion that non-invasive treatments may actually delay the need for a surgical procedure. Because I, I think I believe in some of these non-surgical treatments maybe a little bit more than you guys do. I think radio frequency, like, you know, radio frequency microneedling, I think can have a huge benefit in, in skin elasticity and maybe delaying the need for a facelift. Um, whether it's things like face tight, you know, which I, which I think can do a lot for, for tightening the, the neck and jawline area, I think it can be really beneficial and delay the need for facial procedures. Um, I think, um, you know, I think, I think there's more and more exciting treatments that I'm not going to claim are the equivalent of surgery. Of course not. They're not, but if done earlier on for patients before they technically might need a facelift, it can delay and potentially as technology keeps getting better, even prevent the need for a bigger operation in their own mind later on. And I think we're seeing that in terms of the trends, right? I mean, no facial surgical procedure um, 
for women made their made the top five. Um, yeah. And where I think if you were to go back ten years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the case. So that that statistic yeah. was very surprising for me. I mean, yeah. I think if you <laughs> if you were to look at the future of aesthetic services, you're right. I mean, if you look at energy and other services. That includes the non-invasive stuff, chemical peels, body contouring, infusions, microneedling, combo lasers, uh, sclerotherapy, other energy and esthetician services. That grew 25%. Like that is huge. Yep. I mean, when you look at the number of surgical procedures versus the number of non-surgical procedures and the growth you're seeing on that, that side. And I think a lot of it is driven by the manufacturers. They're coming out with tons of devices. They're pushing a lot of these uh, new services. Some of, and we'll see how it plays out. Some of it might be awesome. Some of it not so awesome, but you're right. I mean, if you were an economist or if you were looking to be a medical device investor, like this is probably where the money is probably in the future. Yeah. I mean, we don't like this trend in some ways. Let's just be honest because we love doing facial cosmetic surgery. Every single one of us, they're probably our favorite operations to do. Not a lot of people can do these operations, right? Only a few. <laughs> we're, we're, True. Yeah, not a lot Handful. of people can do them, and so it's nice to be in this in this um, in this select group of people to do to do these operations that that we love to do. But we also have to be careful to not be those grumpy old men that are like you know sitting sitting outside yelling at the kids to get off our lawn because only only our way. You know, it's ultimately like this is here. Yep. This has exploded. There is benefits to it. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's done poorly, but sometimes it's done quite well. And so, you know, society, the societal trends really don't lie. And that's why these statistics are so valuable. I think some of this is, is that if we do believe that doing some of these procedures are worthwhile, that especially the younger generation, as they continue to age and get older, we have to show the, de the benefits and really continue to improve the risk profile, continue to improve the recovery and downtime profile for these pro these procedures. I feel like we haven't done as good of a job sort of talking about um, optimizing patients' recovery from a lot of these procedures. And if we can do a better job with that, um, I, think, I think we'll be all right in the future. I think, like you said, this is something that not a ton of people do it's uh, to do well requires a high degree of skill and experience. And listen, no one's going to cry poverty for us as uh, plastic surgeons. But I think one of the things ASPS or, or some of our societal type of organizations, aesthetic society should be doing is sort of highlighting some of this like that, you know, okay. listen, there is going to be a market for this sooner or later as as our target population continue, or demographic continues to age and get older. <laughs> these younger patients and they should have more information about about what it is that we can do properly i guess i'm not sure where you're, what you mean by that well when you say what we can do properly about what about some of these changes so for example i mean i know one of the more popular procedures i've had for younger patients has been buccal fat excision right or maybe just like a, a neck or chin lipo and once they've actually sort of undergone that, and maybe they didn't, they didn't pick up this information from uh, Aesthetic Society or um, ASPS, they picked it up from TikTok, okay? 
you know, from some sort of media influencer. But once they actually went through this and got the procedure done, they realized, wow, this is pretty quick. The recovery was pretty good. I didn't have a problem. Like it was less scary to them than what they had thought surgery was going to be. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, I don't want to make light of surgery, but on the other hand, I also want to show that maybe thread lifts are not going to be the answer for you if you actually compare everything and, and, and look at it. I mean, I think, I think, um, um, I think can we keep coming back to thread lifts? I've actually, I don't do thread lifts, but I, mean, I work with estheticians that do do them. There's a role for them where for an event and a minimal downtime recovery, you know, that's, that's the role of a thread lift. If you're looking for long lasting results, that's not what it is. Uh, none of us would claim that's what it is, but I think, you know, there, and, and that's the thing, like some people market it, honestly, some people don't, but, um, but yeah, you know, ultimately plastic surgeons, we're not the ones that set or determine societal trends, you know, that, that ship has sailed. It's social media, it's generations that are younger than, than, you know, the ones doing the operation, but you know, it's up to us to, to educate people about the long-term consequences of their decisions, what the recovery might be like and so on and so forth and whether or not it's even feasible. But I, that's why I find these statistics so interesting though, because ultimately you see what society is, has decided was what's important to them and what's not important to them. And then as plastic surgeons, we, we see if that makes sense to us. You know, so an interesting, um, interesting factoid, um, you know, I, I sit on the board of directors of the research side of the aesthetic society. It's called the, uh, ASURF, the aesthetic surgery research and education foundation. <laughs> and you know, these, these statistics are taken exceptionally seriously. They do a really good job of reaching out to aesthetic society members, um, validating the answers, making sure this is legitimate data. And so, you know, these are, these are key, you know, yeah. Do, were there any other observations that you guys wanted to highlight? That's, those were sort of the key things that I had gotten out of the whole thing. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything else you guys thought was worth highlighting. No, I, it, it, they're really interesting. I think all plastic surgeons should take a look at it. Um, I think they could sort of look at their own practice demographics and their geographic location and sort of see if this is in concert with some of these trends that we're sort of seeing here. And, um, and I think that, uh, there's no doubt that the pandemic sort of gave all of us a turbocharge in terms of our procedure counts. Uh, but the way the economy is going and the way things have changed in terms of disposable income, as Sal said, some of the, uh, you know, uh, changes that we've seen economically, like it, we may never see that kind of peak that we saw uh post covid as uh, as we did uh in the past great well gentlemen as always it was a pleasure and uh, i hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend thanks for listening everyone thank you